Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I am here with Seth Lemke, Eagles Canyon Ranch, a raceway, actually. Yep. And uh, today's Wednesday. You guys started on Saturday on the one lap of America, I'm right? glad you told me it was Wednesday. I wouldn't have I know. That. That's I what was... everyone's been like, <laughs> losing track of time. Right. Um, I know this, it's. I this... know it's like our fourth track, and that's okay. Every... And this is the car you guys are using. Yes. You and your co-driver, who's uh, who's sleeping in the sleeping car sleeping right now because you got to catch up on sleep. So yeah. tell me about the car. Um, it is a 2013, I think, Kia Rio S. Okay. Um, which was the it had bigger brakes and some other things, but other than that, it's just how they built the Kia Rios during that time. It's got, it is dynoed at 110 wheel horsepower. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a monster. Yeah, very, yeah, monster. Um, and um, it just is a well-behaved little car, which is, there's the other cars that run around in, in the class and do this thing, and, and we were going for well-behaved and quiet. Um, <laughs> That's I, good for when you're traveling 700 miles the, for one spot. The to main the... modifications to the car this year were actually additional sound deadening and putting the stock muffler back on. I see. Because last year I was like, too loud, definitely need to quiet the car down. So um, when we drive, we just hold conversations. We talk to each other. <laughs> so how many times have you taken this car? This is the second time I've done it in this car. Okay. Um, this is my seventh one lap of America. Oh, wow. Um, so the very first one I did, I did in a 2014 Cadillac CTSV wagon, which was way too much car. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is a wonderful car, but it's way more than I could handle. Um, <laughs> that was my first track car. I literally bought it because I thought it was a cool car, and a, a really good friend of mine said, we should do one lap. I'd never, I'd done a bunch of autocrossing, a bunch of rally crossing, and he said, we should do one lap because you bought that car. And <laughs> I said, okay, what do I do? And he was a time trial director of the Texas region of NASA at that time. He said, just come out and start doing NASA events. So we signed up for one lap and I started doing NASA events that year. And by the time one lap came around, I had done like eight full NASA weekends. Um, so I had had a, a fair amount of, I had a time trial license before I yep. started this, so we, I got that within that first year, but it was a lot of car to drive on tracks that you weren't familiar with, yep. and that year we did, one of the tracks we did was Eagles Canyon, or not Eagles Canyon, uh, High Plain Traceway okay. in Colorado, and that's that, it's a very defining moment for me because on the back straight, you get a long back straight, and then it sort of kinks and goes into this blind thing, and you can't even have to think about what you're doing. But I look down at the speedometer, and I'm going 145 miles an hour in a car with three-point seatbelts. weighs like 5,000 pounds. And I was like, this is not something I can keep doing. And I went home and I bought a, a Civic to continue time trialing with. And since then, like every time I do this, I do a slightly slower car, slightly slower <laughs> car, slightly slower car, until I'm with a place that I don't feel like the car is getting away from me. Yeah. Like, to be in that happy place. Yeah. Her. So, and this is, 
this has been a spectacular experience that's um, to to be able to drive these cars at the back and have is i think we're having as much fun as the fast cars are having well um, you know i i race the mazda too and i have yeah. a hell of a time in that thing and see you know the corners are the best part uh, like, they are going faster in the straight doesn't make it more fun because the corners are the best part it is interesting watching even the fast cars and i'm like are they going slower than the slow car in that corner? They, that's You would love to look at data on some of that and be like, am I actually faster than him through those corners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about um, your podcast. Um, I do a podcast with Scott Robertson called Track Walking. Okay. And that podcast actually came out of our experiences on One Lap of America. Oh, because really? Because we would do the track walks in the morning, and we just started talking about things and got into some pretty deep, like, like why we drive, what are we getting out of this type type conversations. Uh -huh. And one of our friends, um, several of our friends talked to us, but Scott talked to Adam Jabay, who does the Slip Angle podcast. And he's like, you guys should just do a podcast. Just talk about these things. People want to hear about them. And so we started recording. We've been doing it for about two years now. That's awesome. So um, we do... We pick people's brains. That's that's kind of our jam. Is to be like, you know, like, but what about your dog dying when you were seven? Really affects your track driving these days. And <laughs> try to dig deep into stuff and, and really uh, see why people are doing the things that they are doing. See if they even know why they're doing the things that they are doing. Do you do you do it in person or is it virtual? We do, do it because Scott lives in Michigan and I live in Texas. Oh, okay. Um, we do it. We just record. Uh, we do over the internet okay. and call people, and we've got a recording board okay. that, that Scott runs, so we can call people and do that. We do it basically every Monday, every Monday evening. We have either a guest or Scott and I talking, and oh. that's sort of our—it's our time to catch up. It's our therapy session. It's our time to meet new people. It's—it's um, it's a good thing. It's—it's it's good for both of us. It helps helps get Scott through the long winters to know that we have that to do. And where where at in Texas are you? I'm on the north side of Houston. Okay. So, arguably Houston, unless you know Houston, and then you know I can tell you exactly at Houston where like I am. Like Woodlands but, or something. Yeah, like I'm actually that. in New Caney, so up 59. Just okay. From that, so. Got it. Yeah, I did live there for a little while. Where did you live in? Uh, when I lived in Houston, I was uh, near Rice University oh, okay. off Sunset Boulevard, and also West West Chase and Beltway 8 on the west side yep. of town. Yep. So, um, but I'm in Austin now. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. Yes, <laughs> frankly, no, I, I, I love it here in Austin. It's a culturally very different. Houston, my my wife and I have degrees in geological engineering, so we came to Houston for the oil industry, and that's why we've stayed is for the oil industry. But uh, I understand why everybody who leaves leaves. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what other things are you doing r related to racing this year in addition to this? So my primary focus over the last three years has actually shifted to racing small motorcycles. I really? Race, race the oh, little bitty ones. Yeah, not, not like pocket bikes, but these are they're a lot of them are based on like hundred cc air cooled like tiny dirt bike motors. Some okay. of them are dirt bikes, some of them look like little GP bikes, but we race them on go kart tracks. Okay. Um, and there's a there's a two go kart tracks in Houston and one up in up here in Denton, and they run a series called the Texas Mini Grand Prix. Okay. And Saturdays are endurance races, four or six hour endurance races, and then Sunday is sprint racing. And I started doing that about three years ago. And as soon as I started doing that, all the car stuff just sort of, I was like, all right, I'm doing bikes now. And that's for two reasons. One, like the cost is immeasurably cheaper. I was going to, that's, I'm definitely going to get into this. I want to understand. Once, once you buy the safety gear in, in 
full full thing. Like the safety, the safety gear buy-in is a big thing because you need a full set of leathers, sure, good boots, full gauntlet gloves, a helmet. So you're you're into safety gear for anywhere between a grand and two grand. I spent like, two grand on my safety gear for the car. Yeah, and so once so. you're in the safety gear, the bikes are cheap. The bike I raced my first year, I bought for nine hundred dollars. Put a set of tires on it, raced it the entire season, which is oil changes, gas. The tires last the whole season. Um, and did that. We raced for for two and a half seasons. We raced a Honda Grom that we bought already race prepped for two thousand dollars, and that you just race it, and you do a million laps. And and the other reason I've I've sort of become super addicted to that is one of the go kart tracks is six miles from my house. Okay. You can purchase a membership, twelve hundred bucks for the year, and you can go ride literally any time they're open. And so I rode the first full year I had it. We calculated it. It was it was somewhere between eight and ten thousand laps in, in a that, year. In a year, because I'd ride three days a week. Oh my god! Especially during during COVID, um, my number three child, my daughter, who's one who races motorcycles with me, she had school at home, and so she would she would do her school. She would get done at ten in the morning. And we'd go to the track, and we were riding five days a week then, and we would just. Go, go to the track, do 100 laps, come home. And we would do it every day. Well, she's, was, she must be really good. She's better than I am. Man. So she's in college here now. She's actually at college at UNT in Denton. Okay. Um, which she was a little bit sad to give up racing. You know, she had to, she's doing an early college program. Yep. Um, and she had to give up racing to do that just because it, the opportunities to ride consistently aren't there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she's a very, very good motorcycle racer. And to her advantage, um, she inherited the perfect genetics for racing small motorcycles. She's 4'11 and 85 pounds. Oh, wow, yeah. So she's, she's this, tiny. this tiny little girl, and she fits the bikes perfectly. And she has a very high skill level on the bikes. And it was, it was really interesting to go from teaching her to use a clutch to teaching her to corner to within... 18 months or so, like she was better than me. Not just like faster than me. You might go, oh, she's lighter, so she can do this. It's not about being faster than me. It's about literally being better than me on a motorcycle. And wow. so that's been a very interesting experience. And that is the primary thing that's, that's kept me away from cars other than one lap because this is, these are my family. Yeah. Like, and, and I have, like Scott, I very seldom see Scott away from this week. He's oh. one of my best friends in the world. And 95% of the time I've spent with him in person has been at one lap. It's um, so cool that you started it from the track walks at one lap. Yep, yep. That was just, it's just, no place else really has the track walks like one lap because of the how the event is formatted. I mean, you can walk tracks at any, at any place, or at most places, right? Yeah, and most so, of them. So if you get there early or the day before, they'll let you do it. And some people do it and they check out the pavement. And, but on one lap, you don't get practice on the track. Yeah. You get, you know, your your outlap. But if you haven't driven the track before, you haven't seen it. So there's there's a little bit of an autocrosser thing going on, which is why really good national level autocrossers excel at this event, where you you do a walk and you memorize the important things, and you you know sort of get a feel for how fast you can go because you you have a, in your brain you have a catalog of corners like yeah. I've driven corners that look like this yeah. driven corners that are this shape and size and you figure that all out you do your outlap experiment with things figure out what you can do and then you've got 
you have to go. You've yeah. got three laps. You're on the clock. Three laps. They all count. They all count. Yeah, it's from count. the standing start to the checkers. Every second you're out there counts. And so you don't. I mean, you can make big mistakes, but they hurt you. Yeah. It's not like time trial where you need one perfect lap. No, you yeah. need to do three good laps. What? So the, on the time trial format, how many tries do you get? How does how does that work? For this? No, the time trial, not so, not this. Oh, time trial. When I did time trial with NASA, it was it was like you were running HPDE sessions. Okay. Um, but you have a transponder on it, and so over the course of the weekend, whatever your fastest lap oh. was was scored. Okay. And so generally, in, in it, when you're properly going fast, it depends on weather and like sometimes the morning's actually faster because it's cooler. Yeah. Sometimes it's later in the day, yeah. things like that. But when I ran with NASA, it was over the course of two days and eight sessions, so whatever your single best lap time was. was Interesting. Was okay. The weekend. Yeah. Now here, though, with all the distance you got to travel between the tracks, you know, the whole driving 10 out of 10 on every single time it could be, could could end up so that's the thing like you can't break the car right? yeah you hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner luckily armor all america's most trusted auto appearance brand has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine plus now through may 31st we'll give you five dollars for every 20 you spend on armor all products that means car wash pods protectant tire shine you name it Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You, if you break the car, if you don't finish a session, so if, if something happens, you have to come in before finishing your laps yeah. and you get a zero score because it's scored on points. Like we do times for the thing, but then if you are, yeah. you're allotted points, for it, that's basically it. You're done for, for your class and that kind of thing. So yeah. like you do have to, you have to go out and drive hard you have to not be too conservative that you're being slow yeah. but you can't do something that actually breaks the car right and so you're always the i am massively impressed with the people who are actually good at this who can go out and drive within a second of the car's potential just you know just like that yeah because that's that's not me that's not my personality which is why i was always a mediocre autocrosser because in three laps like I was just sort of like oh now I kind of understand what might need to happen if I had 20 more laps to yeah. do it and when I did time trial my fastest laps were always like right at the end of the weekend um, that's just my my personality is not I'm not really a risk although I race motorcycles and I do a bunch of other things I'm not really a risk taker but very controlled like to feel like I'm in like I like I have a handle on what's going yeah. on yeah and this is I don't want to say this is the opposite of that, but it, it rewards a confident personality. Who's yeah. Like, no, I know. Yeah, I know. So. I mean, I'm, I'm going all in. So. Yeah. But and we the fun thing is I um, one of the cars I had I had to have one of the companies make brakes for me for it because I couldn't get compounds for it, the the Honda Accord that I had at the time, and I talked to them and they said consistently one lap competitors are the hardest on brakes of anybody. Because we go out there and we drive it at like 105% and hope to God our brakes can save us if we screw <laughs> something up. So we just beat on the brakes on these cars and that gave some insight into it. Because like, they're like race car drivers won't just drive it into a corner three or four miles an hour faster than they think they need to and be like, well, hope this works. <laughs> and yeah, it's... It's been interesting over the years, the, the cars that have brake issues, who, like, like, they're like track cars. They do track car stuff, it's fine. They get here, and then your brake issues show up. 
Um, this, the, I'm curious about the safety with the mini bikes. Are they pretty safe? I mean, it's like any motorcycle falling off hurts. Yeah. Um, the the difference between small bikes and big bikes is the top speed that we reach on the small bikes is right about 62, 65 miles an hour, and our corner speeds are you know 20 to 40 miles an hour, which is roughly half the speed that my friends who ride big bikes okay. ride. Okay. And because you know energy cubes with you know, squares with speed, that sort of thing. Yeah. And energy when you fall off is a lot less. Yeah. So most mini bike crashes, most small bike crashes, they hurt, but you get up and you pick up the bike and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and so I they're, do li have a, they're literally smaller bikes. Literally smaller bikes. The the Kawasaki KLX 110 children's dirt bike. We raced that. Um, Honda XR 100 was my first race bike. Um, and then they make a couple like purpose-built GP bikes. Honda makes a bike called the Honda NSF 100, which looks like a little race bike, but it's built around the XR100 motor. They sell them in Japan and they use them in Asia for one make series. And if you know some people, you can get a hold of them. And then there's an Italian company called Ovale, which makes bikes that are even slightly smaller, but they're based on some based on Honda motors, but it's a bespoke frame and, and 10 or 12 inch wheels and you know proper race slicks. And those are very fast little bikes. Like it's, they're very serious little bikes. Um, but you know, I have a titanium collarbone from- Oh really? Stuff. Yeah. Oh God. And so like the, like the danger's real. I mean, falling off motor, and you know, it's falling off a bicycle, people break. That's the most common serious oh, yeah. Yeah. injury in, in bicycling is breaking a collarbone. Yep. It's the same yep. type of thing. But whereas when my friends who race big bikes, there has to be a helicopter on site. Like that's mm, part of their yeah. insurance rules because that's a very serious game. Yeah. And for us, we just have to have a paramedic on site because like worst case scenario, maybe we're probably gonna need to call an ambulance. And I've seen all in the three years I've been racing, I've seen broken collarbones. And then I saw one person break a leg at a practice day, it wasn't a race day, but in race days, it's, you know, somebody broke a thumb, some collarbones, but that's just normal. Like if you ride dirt bikes, it's the same. I would say it's like dirt bike levels of getting hurt rather than yeah. race bike levels right. of getting hurt. But no, well, I encourage anybody to try it. You should definitely come ride tiny motorcycles. That would that would be kind of fun. That would be neat. I've it never is, even thought about it. It is more fun than you think it is. So, um, I mean, I, I love go-karts, so it's probably... So, so go-karts are actually way more physical. Okay. Um, I have a couple of friends, because I'm at the kart track, I'm friends with a bunch of the kart people. Uh -huh. And... Um, Go-karts are exhausting. Like, proper fast go-karts are terrifying. Um, what karts do you race? Oh, you know, the ones you go to, uh, that everybody rents. You okay. know, like the K1 electric ones. So, pro tip, that's closer to a riding lawnmower than it is to a fast <laughs> go-kart. When you get in, like, the 125cc shifter carts with the big... Well, I haven't driven a shifter cart, but I've driven the two-speed one. Okay. So you're looking at carts that have... 28 horsepower, 30 horsepower, and will pull sustained well over two Gs in the corners. And the reason I stopped driving carts as much as I was driving is I dislocated a rib. I had a rib protector on, and I still dislocated a rib. I pulled it out of my spine just from, because the track had a bump in a place, and you would go through, load it up at two Gs, and it would hit a bump, and it would twist the middle, and I had to take like like eight months off doing carts before I could get back in one again. So like, people are like, oh yeah, carts are fun. I'm like, carts are scary and they hurt. Bikes are fun. 
Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the I haven't been in real carts. I've okay, been, I've been in the fake that's carts. the other thing you should definitely do is is find like the ability to drive like a proper a real cart. race cart. And the the 125 two strokes, either the air cooled or liquid cooled ones that have good slicks on them, it is a different experience. It is for most normal people it is as close as you get to driving a Formula One yeah. car. And so you drive around and the cart's doing this thing and your eyeballs are like twitching and you can't see right because the like the g-forces and the bumps wow and you're like oh wow that's a completely different game it's it's way beyond what regular track cars yeah. do yeah um, and then track cars are way beyond just passenger driving you know it's just yeah. it's it's it feels like it's 10 times extreme right so just taking that one level further would be incredible yeah it's and i encourage everybody to do that it's one of those it, but i encourage people to branch out anyway because yeah. i think a variety of things, everything that you do adds adds back into what your core passion will be. So even if your core passion is just like driving streetcars on track, doing time trial, doing something like that, if you do something adjacent to that and you can sort of like bring something back into that, you'll be better at driving cars on track. If you just do cars on track, you don't have anything else yeah. to feed back into that. So whether yeah. it's carts, I have a bunch of friends who do mountain biking, especially downhill mountain biking allows you to focus, like to really practice looking ahead, to really focus, to really deal with weight shifts in a way that translates directly back to track cars. But you can do run after run after run after run after run and it doesn't cost you, like yeah. the, the cost of downhill mountain biking versus tracking a car is oh. like fractional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though downhill mountain bikes, are, mountain bikes are expensive, like the the ability to do it a bunch is is smaller. So, um, well, um, I was going to give you one chance here just to promote anything. Obviously, your podcast. I want to promote that. Yes, yeah, so I do Slip Angle podcast, and you can find us at on um, Facebook and all the places that that uh, do podcasts. And um, Scott Robertson and I do that. Uh, he is. You said Slip Angle? Not Slip Angle is Adam Jabay's podcast. I'm track walking. Okay, yes. I what... listen to Slip Angle. Okay. Because that's better than us. <laughs> I do track walking podcasts. That's okay. Fine. All right. Good, good catch there. Yeah. I was um, like. So also, you should listen to Slip Angle because that's a brilliant. I have it saved, so okay. I, I do have that one saved. Well, also, my... they have like 500 episodes, so you can... Well, you guys probably have like 100 or so. There's like 100, yeah. So, okay. Um, the, the only other thing for me to promote is the owner of this car does a, has a small oil analysis company called Racers Oil Analysis Resource, and he specifically works with people on like race car level oil issues. Yep. Like what is actually happening to your oil. Like start with a fresh sample of oil and start with oil that comes out of the car and see what's actually happening to it. Do you have an oil problem? If you do, what's happening to the oil and and how changing your weight or changing different things can actually can help your car live longer. Yep. Because when you do normal oil analysis, the oil analysis places maybe know what you're doing, but they they may not. Right. And it's really what what gets better is comparative through time. Like this is what we started with, this is what happened to this oil. Okay, if we try a different oil, does it break down in the same way or is like did we did we improve something? Yep. And so I think he provides a really good service to people um, with that, and that's Racer Oil Analysis Resource. I think it's on the side of it the- It is on the side of the car. I made stickers. Yes, Racer's Oil Analysis Resource. Yeah. It's and, perfect. Uh, he's, he's a good guy, and he knows, like, if you get him talking about oil, it's kind of obnoxious, <laughs> because he, he knows 
too much and he thinks about it way too much. Yeah. So. Seth, thank you. It's been fantastic. I appreciate and that. And obviously I like talking. So. Oh, that's awesome. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag.